the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Zara New. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park and 910 WTWD Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Could you be one of these people identifying with the church, associated with Christians? You know the language, you speak the evangelical jargon, and yet you've never repented. And the proof that you've never repented is now sin doesn't bother you. It seems like one of the greatest spiritual tragedies of our day is the large number of people who hang around the church and act like they are part of Christianity, but have never been changed by the power of the gospel. They've cleaned up their lives to a respectable level, but they have never really dealt with sin or gotten things right with God. You're listening to Verse by Verse Radio. Now, here's Pastor Steve Kreloff with today's message. In John's Gospel, chapter 3, we're given the most famous verse in all the Bible. It's John 3.16. And John 3.16 tells a person, in summary form, how to be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But that's not all John tells us. He tells us how to be saved, but a few verses later, starting in verse 19, we're told why men and women are not saved. Why aren't they saved? Look at verse 19. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. John, John is telling us that people are, don't come to Christ because they are not willing to forsake their sins that have been exposed by the light of Christ. That, that's the bottom line. That's it. Oftentimes, because I'm Jewish, people will say, how come, can you explain how come Israel, for the most part, and the Jewish people, even to this day, uh, have rejected Christ? It's the same reason why, why most Gentiles to this day have rejected Christ. Men love darkness rather than the light. And they can come up with all kinds of reasons why they haven't come to Christ. But the real reason, the real reason is because Jesus exposes their sin and they're not willing to repent. That's, that's exactly why Jewish people as well as Gentile people don't come to Christ. That's, that's why. They would prefer to walk in darkness so they continue, can continue carrying out deeds of darkness. So how do you know if you've ever really repented of your sin? How do you know if you, if you have truly been born again? Don't ever assume that you are because you were raised in a Christian home and you prayed a prayer and you've been in a church like ours for many years. How do you know? Well, one of the proofs one of the proofs that you're really saved is that you continue to repent of your sin on a daily basis. In other words, you feel bad when you sin. You're grieved about it. You're bothered when you sin, and you confess your sin to God. 
And confession of sin is not simply saying, God, I'm sorry that I did this. Confession implies that not only are you sorry about it, but you don't want to continue. It, it always is uh, involving a repentant heart. Now, you may still struggle with that particular sin, and you may fall into it from time to time. In fact, you may fall into it a lot, but you hate it. As a believer, you must hate it, and you want to forsake it for the sake of Christ. If you don't have that attitude, you're not a believer. If there's not repentance in your life on an ongoing basis, you do have a legitimate reason to question whether you really have come to Christ. It's important to understand that repentance is not a one-time experience that takes place at your conversion. It's not that at all. It only starts at your conversion. It starts there, it begins there, and then one of the proofs that you have truly been converted is that you continue to repent over your sins in your life as you grow in the Lord. In fact, that's part of the growth process. The Lord shows us all the time how sinful we are. If you didn't show me my sin on an ongoing basis, I wouldn't have much of a prayer life. I mean, this is, this is kind of the heart of it. Now, that brings us in our study to verse 11. And I want to read verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 7. Very important. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. In everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. This is an extremely important verse because you know why? It shows us what the godly sorrow of the Corinthians actually produced in terms of repentance. If you want to know what repentance looks like in terms of the fruit of repentance, this is it. This is it. This is what repentance looks like. It, Paul shows us, based on the Corinthians' repentance, the, their attitudes that manifested itself, he shows us the change of attitudes that take place in all believers when we repent. This is very important. And let me tell you why it's so important in terms of your practical life and mine, because it helps us to know if someone truly has repented. If someone comes to you and says, I'm so sorry, I, I, I feel bad about what I did, and I'm sorry, how do you know if they're really repentant? Anybody can say that. Talk is cheap. How do you know if they're truly repentant or they just feel bad because it made you feel bad? Or how do you know it's, if it's true repentance or worldly sorrow? Let me take it a little bit more specific. If you have an estranged spouse who wants reconciliation with you and he or she says they feel bad about what they've done, they want to get back together, how do you know? How do you know if it's real repentance? How do you know it's not worldly sorrow? Verse 11 tells us. You'll know by verse 11. This is what to look for if there's genuine repentance. Or how can our elders know if a disciplined church member has truly repented? Because if, if we, if the church here, if we discipline somebody and they say they've repented, they have to tell our elders that. They have to come and appear before and meet with the elders. And this is what we're going to be looking for in verse 11. We don't just take somebody's word for it. Anybody can say that. I feel bad and I want to come back to the church, reinstate me as a member. How do, this is what we're going to look for. So how can we tell if anyone claiming that they're sorry for their sins has genuinely repented? Verse 11 is the key. And what we're going to do, we're going to look at, and we're not going to, we don't have to spend much time with this. We're not going into much detail. I just want to highlight the eight marks that Paul gives of true repentance as demonstrated by the Corinthians. This is what repentance in terms of the fruit 
the attitudes look like. If you see these attitudes demonstrated in someone, it's true repentance. If it's not there, it's not true repentance. And don't be naive and, and gullible about it. Number one, he says, for behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. The very first evidence of repentance for the Corinthians was their earnestness, which means eagerness or diligence. The point is that they were eager to get things straightened out with Paul. That, that's what they wanted to do. That's the first thing they wanted to do. They didn't delay on it. They made haste. See, the first evidence of genuine repentance is a diligence to aggressively pursue righteous behavior. Did you get that? When you're convicted of your sin and you repent, you aggressively pursue righteous behavior. It, it reminds me of the man Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 5. He said, if you're at the temple and there at the altar, you're presenting your gift to God, and there you remember that you've sinned against someone, Jesus said, leave your gift, get up and get things right with your brother. That's what, that's what Paul is talking about, that type of eagerness. Don't even continue worshiping. Far more important than your worship, because God doesn't accept it anyway, is to get right with someone. Any person who says they've repented but still has just sort of a casual indifference to sin has not repented. If they have the attitude of, yeah, I, I, I know I'm, I'm wrong, I know I shouldn't have done this, and I know I need to get things straightened out, but I, I just haven't gotten around to it yet, that's not repentance. That's not repentance. That may be some form of legalistic standard imposed on someone and legalistic obligation. Yeah, I'm going to do it. And, but that's not repentance. When God brings us to repentance, you can't wait to get it straightened out. You're not letting another day go by. The proof of repentance is an eagerness to do what God wants us to do. Those who repent are passionate about it. They are determined to get things straightened out with God and with other people if necessary. Secondly, the second attitude that uh, demonstrates repentance is first, there's, there's eagerness. Secondly, he says, what vindication of yourselves? Now, the word vindication really means defense or, or better yet, apology. And the thought here seems to be that the Corinthians were eager to clear their name by apologizing to Paul and to God for their sin. They want to get things straightened out. They recognize that they had brought shame on the name of Christ, shame on their church, shame on their testimony, and they had hurt Paul deeply, and they wanted to clear their name by asking forgiveness. This is a very vital part of repentance. A truly repentant person will humble themselves, whatever it takes to ask forgiveness, not only from God, but if there's been another person involved, they go to that person and ask their forgiveness. In this case, the Corinthians needed to ask Paul's forgiveness for the way they had treated, treated the apostle. And the sure sign of repentance on our part would be to make things right with any individual that we've sinned against. It's humbling. It's sometimes awkward. But this is what it takes. Remember what Lloyd-Jones said? It's whatever it takes. No matter what people say, no matter how odd you may feel, you do it. You ask their forgiveness. So number one, the first mark of repentance is there's, there's an earnestness, an eagerness. Secondly, we clear our name by apologizing. We go to people. We ask for forgiveness. We humble ourselves. Third mark of repentance, Paul says, what indignation. 
Know what he means here? This is this is wonderful. And by the way, when he says what, it's always what before. It's like it's sort of like us saying, "Wow, I'm impressed." It's a, Paul didn't just say they're indignant. They're no, it's what indignation. It, it's sort of an exclamation of it. What earnestness? What clearing of their name? What indignation? The indignation that he's talking about is anger. It's righteous indignation. The Corinthians were angry. At what? At their own sin, their own behavior. They were indignant over their own sinful behavior. They looked at the way they had acted and treated the Apostle Paul, and they were righteously indignant at themselves. Over their sin, the shame it brought to the Lord's testimony at their church. See, anyone who anyone who has ever repented understands that there is a holy hatred towards their own sin, and it grieves them to think that they have treated the Lord this way, and that they've treated other people this way. They hate their sin. That's why I'm saying, folks, it's not a casual indifference. It's not when I get around to it, I, I might get it straightened out. That's not repentance. It's not repentance at all. And if you never have any of this, any of these marks, you're not a believer. Because when God brings salvation to us, he gives us a new nature, and that new nature constantly is dealing with us through the Holy Spirit, about about sin, and we're constantly seeing our own depravity and, and having to ask God's forgiveness, and we grieve over our sin. We rejoice in forgiveness, but, but we grieve over our sin. He says, number four, what fear? The Corinthians had a new and a healthy attitude, a wholesome fear towards God. We don't often speak about the fear of God, but there is a legitimate reverence towards God as the one who disciplines us. And we say, Lord, I love you, but I also have this incredible fear that you're going to discipline me and spank me, and I don't want that. This is something you always want to look for in someone who says they have repented. Do they recognize that their sin has offended God? And do they now have a new attitude of honoring and pleasing the Lord? It, it, it's all about me and God, That's that. there ought to be a wholesome fear. I did this, God dealt with me, I don't want to do this again. And I fear if I do it again, God's going to spank me even harder. Number five, what longing? The Corinthians, as we've said from verse seven, they long for Paul to visit them so that they could get things right with him face to face. They yearn, that's the thought here, the yearning to be restored to fellowship with the apostle. A consuming desire. Do you have that? When you're estranged from people, do you have that? Do you have that longing to have things straightened out? When you've sinned against somebody, does it bother you to the point that I, I can't I can't even wait another day? It's such a yearning in my heart. I can't stand being out of fellowship with that person. I can't stand that things are not right with us. That's the mark of repentance. Number six, what zeal? This probably refers to the Corinthians' zeal to honor Paul as an apostle by obeying his teaching. And what this means in practical, applicable terms is that if you have mistreated someone and you repent, your repentance will be demonstrated, watch this, by a new zeal in treating the person properly. If you treat them in the same rotten manner that you treated them before, it's not repentance. Repentance isn't, well, I'm sorry I mistreated you and I think I'll do it some more. I just feel bad. about. That's not repentance. If you don't change and have a new zeal towards honoring them and treating them differently, you have not repented. Number seven, 
seventh mark of repentance. What avenging of wrong? The thought, the thought here is that the Corinthians wanted to see justice carried out. That's what he means, the avenging of wrong. Even if the justice and punishment was for their own sin, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, have justice be meted out even if it hurts me. And it may very well be that Paul is referring to a specific incident here because he mentions at the end of of this verse something about the matter. So it seems to me that there may very well be in Paul's mind one specific incident he's referring to in addition to their general uh, avenging of wrong. And that one wrong would seem to be the man who the church disciplined because he was having an incestuous relationship with his stepmother. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he rebuked not the man. He rebuked the church for being so lenient and tolerant with the guy and said, put him out. You can't let that stuff go on in the church. Put him out. And they apparently did that because we read in this book in chapter 2 that he appeared to have repented. And Paul said, forgive him now. But it seems to me that Paul is saying that you dealt justly. You had justice be carried out. And how we would apply this is by saying, if you're truly repentant, you don't try to remove the consequences of your own sin. You just take it. Take it on the chin, whatever the consequences are. Don't try to squirm out of justice by saying, well, I've I've repented, so do I still have to go through this? Yeah, yeah, regardless of the cost, justice met it out. And finally, number eight, he says, in everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. This is the bottom line. It sort of sums up everything. It's the bottom line that proves someone has truly repented. They demonstrate the reality of their repentance by taking the steps necessary to correct things. So Paul says you're no longer uh, to be blamed. You're no longer uh, one who we can point a finger at. You're, you're innocent in this. How can you tell if someone's really repented? They'll do more than tell you that they're just sorry. They'll do more than that. They will demonstrate a real change of heart by making changes in their behavior and certainly in their attitudes. Now, we opened our study by quoting from a well-known Bible teacher and pastor of another generation, Harry Ironside, who was concerned about the church's lack of preaching repentance in his day. But I want to close our study the quote from a well-known Bible teacher and pastor of today who is equally concerned about preaching that is void of the doctrine of repentance. In his book, Faith Works, John MacArthur wrote these words. Profound words. I am deeply concerned as I watch what is happening in the church today. Biblical Christianity has lost its voice. The church is preaching a gospel designed to soothe rather than confront sinful individuals. Churches have turned to amusement and show business to try to win the world. Those methods may seem to draw crowds for a season, but they are not God's methods, and therefore they are destined to fail. In the meantime, and listen to this, this is scary, but so true. In the meantime, the church is being infiltrated and corrupted by professing believers who have never repented, never turned from sin, and therefore never really embraced Christ as Lord or Savior. End of quote. Could you be one of these people? Identifying with the church, associated with Christians, you know the language, you speak the evangelical jargon, and yet you've never repented. 
And the proof that you've never repented is now sin doesn't bother you. You may have a rotten relationship with your spouse. You may have a rotten relationship with your children. You know things are not right in your life, but you just let it slide. I think that you should be very... Now, we don't do that. That's been your lifestyle because it may very well indicate that you've never come to Christ. You know who was like this? A man in the Bible we mentioned last week who was identified with believers but was not a believer, and that's Judas. Judas, for three years, ate and drank and lived and served with all the apostles. And yet Jesus called him the son of perdition, unsaved, lost, doing what he was doing, thinking everything is fine. I want to make sure as best I can to warn you that you're not a Judas, that you're not just amongst us taking it all in, but sin has never really been dealt with in your life. If you've never come to Christ with repentance and faith, I urge you to do this. And, you know, often we hear people say things like, um, well, I I did that. I did that, meaning I, I asked Jesus into my life and nothing ever happened. That's right, because those are just words. Those are not magic words. Jesus come into my heart. Well, what does that mean even? When a person comes with deep contrition over their sin and comes and bows at the cross and says, Lord, I know that I'm a wicked sinner. I know I deserve hell. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live in rebellion to you anymore. I know that Christ died for my sins, and I trust him with all of my heart. That is a person who has just met the Savior. If you're not one of those, I urge you to do that, because God commands men everywhere to repent. Let's bow for prayer. Where do you stand on this issue? Are you someone that John MacArthur was talking about? Infiltrating the church, professing to be a believer, but you've never repented, you've never turned from sin, you've never really then embraced Christ as Lord, nor have you embraced him as Savior. I urge you to do that. Only God can grant repentance, but I don't want you to have a false assurance. You need to trust Christ. Cry out to him for mercy and salvation. And those of you who do know Christ, I I want to give you as much biblical assurance as possible. If you repent of your sin and you're bothered by your sin and you don't want to continue and you forsake your sin, even if it may be a struggle, that's a sure sign that you know Christ. Because that is the repentance that is part of salvation. You evidence your salvation by that. Paul said, he who began a good work in you will continue to perform it. That good work is not salvation alone. That good work also involves repentance. Began at salvation, it continues. So if you are repenting of your sin, then may I just encourage you in that. And I want to say to those who are sitting here and know that things are not right with someone. They've, they've been estranged. The relationship is severed. Be like the Corinthians. Repent over that. Ask God to forgive you and go to the people who you've sinned against and ask them to forgive you. And it may very well be that you think, well, they're, they're wrong too. Well, listen, they, stand, they have to stand before God. You're not responsible for what they do, but you are responsible for what you do. Even if there's just 1%... That is your responsibility, and 99% is theirs. Take care of that one responsibility that you have and repent. Lord, your word pierces us because it is sharper than any two-edged sword. 
And your word can get in areas that nothing else can. It can reveal thoughts and the intents of our hearts. And Lord, I I would pray that your word indeed would have its deep effect upon us today. I pray, Lord, for those who may be like Judas, associating with believers, even members of the church, but never have they really repented and trusted Christ. I pray that they'll be made aware of this. And Lord, I pray for those who are believers that you'll continue to show us areas we need to repent of, that we might know on a daily basis the joy of fellowship that comes from being clean and right before you. And I would pray for, Lord, those who may be estranged from loved ones. I pray that they'll do everything they can, like the Corinthians, to get it right with that person. And they won't put it on the other people to do what's, uh, what they need to do. But they'll do what you're calling them from your word to do. I pray that, that they will know the thrill that comes from restored fellowship. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't just hang around Christianity and hope it rubs off. It's time to get serious about your relationship with God. We'd love to help you in any way we can. You can call us at 727-239-0306 or contact us through our website, versebyverseradio, all one word, dot O-R-G. Take advantage of the many resources you'll find there. Thanks for taking the time to listen with us. For the entire team, this is Jerry Pruden inviting you to listen again here on Verse by Verse. Before the pain, God was there. Long before the struggle, God was there. Someone want to ask somebody that was going through a trial, this is where was God when the tragedy happened? The answer was the same place he was when it was all good. Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTBN. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.